Good morning to you all. Right when I thought we wouldn't see any more minus 17, we get another one. Hopefully that's the last one, but you never know. I did, I did look ahead. I hate to tell you this, I looked ahead about a week, and there was another like high of minus 11 or something that's predicted, but hopefully things will change. We'll see. I wanted to mention to you a concern that we have uh, for one of our members, one of our number. For a long time, um, for a long time, we have we've had a sister who's battled uh, with cancer. Sister Yasierda has been with this now for a long time, and um, uh, her cancer's not going away very easily. And so we want to pray for her uh, specifically this morning and for God to bless her, okay? I'm going to pray for you, sister. Let's pray. Father, for Ignacia this morning, we want to ask all your blessings. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be with her in every way. We pray for her healing. We'd ask God that you would heal her of this disease. We pray, God, that in the midst of this, that you would give her faith and trust in you and confidence. We pray that those around her would be filled with, uh, with trust and comfort, a comfort that comes only from you. Father, we know that when, when we hear a word like cancer, it scares us. And we need to ground our, our, our lives, our thoughts, our direction. All of that needs to be grounded in you. I know that that Ignacia has that kind of grounding in you. And I, I, I just praise you and thank you for her faith and pray that you would continue to bless her as she battles this disease. We pray these things this morning through Jesus. Amen. We've been in a series that we just started, really. Uh, it's not going to last very long. But in a series where we're doing John Ortberg's book, Eternity is Now in Session, on Sunday mornings. This is in our life groups as well. So if you're in a life group, you're going to get kind of the same material, at least be able to discuss some of the same material. And if I had to sum up what John Orberg is trying to say to us through this book, at least here certainly in the first half, he's trying to say something like this. That receiving Christ is not intended by God to be an escape plan whereby we receive salvation and then happily and idly wait to die and go to heaven. That's just not the plan. In fact, there are some words here that just don't fit. For example, the word idly or the word wait. Like sometimes this is the way that we've approached our life in Christ. It's like, okay, I've come to Jesus. I'm now in Him. I'm a Christian. And now I just can't wait to get out of here. And Orberg is saying we need to not just think in terms of I want to get out of here, but instead think in terms of what can I do while I'm here? What is my response to God going to be right now? And, and a big element of that is this, that we begin our eternal life together now, living out in the present, a life knowing God, of connection with God, of service to God. That's how we live right now. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. I hope a long time still, but I don't know. 
And in the meantime, I want to live out now the eternal life, especially the eternal life that the Gospel of John talks about as having already started. Now, by the way, I've had a couple of people say to me, this whole idea of living out our eternal life now, doesn't that mean that you're kind of taking away from the joys of heaven that are to come? Aren't we detracting from what we're looking forward to in the future? Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) That's not the intention of all. That's not Orberg's intention. Like, Orberg isn't going to say, well, there's nothing new or better for us waiting on the other side of this life. What he is trying to say is that right now, in this life, we need to make sure that we take seriously the eternal life that we've already begun. Some of us may well want to move on. Like if you're a person, I, like I, honestly, I've thought a lot about this in terms of, of Dana Rippenhagen. Like Dana is in pain constantly. This morning I said to you, how are you? And she said, well, yesterday was a really good day, but not today. And when she says, it's not a good day today, she means, you know, my pain is 9 out of 10, or it's an 8 out of 10, or something like that. It's not good. There are times, I'm sure, when Dana thinks, God Get me out of here. Or maybe she just thinks, wait until the grandchildren are born and I can see them. Then get me out of here. And I understand that. And so I don't want to take away from the beautiful notion of what is going to come at the end. The eternal life we begin now is because of our connection to God not because the world in which we live is perfect. It's not. We still have to endure some things here. Orberg is not trying to deny a future of something better. He's trying to keep us from missing what God has brought us now through Christ. Because Jesus has indeed brought wonderful things to us now, and we need to take, need to take that seriously. You know, I actually have this fear that one of these days, I'll be in heaven, and Megan will look across heaven, and she could say, Someone says, well, who's your dad? And she might say, well, it's that old, bald, skinny, white guy over there. Now, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be funny. So what I want is for heaven to look like this. Huh? That's what heaven should be. I, I, I think I was about 18. I look good. I don't know what's going to happen in the future as far as this. I'm guessing that that's not coming back right away. But one of these days, there'll be a transition. So I'm looking forward to that. We're not trying to denigrate heaven here as if that's not going to be an exciting thing. That's going to be a good thing. Nonetheless, despite the fact that we're waiting for a new day, and by the way, I'm just going to leave that up there for a while so we can kind of look at it. I I want to look at it. Um... (laughs) You guys know what a one-off is. Today is kind of a one-off. We are in the middle of this study, but there's kind of a a pause in Ortberg's book where he transitions from part one to part two. If you've got the book, then you'll, you'll sense this. And he spends a few pages talking about the journey that we're all on as we are traveling toward God and ultimately in our eternal life. And so there is some progression in thinking about our lives with God that Ortberg is going to call us to. We're going to use today, because he kind of takes that pause, and is using that, talking about journey and progressiveness. I want to talk a little bit about progression today. 
But I want to talk about that progression in terms of something very significant, and that is the notion of becoming a child of God. Now, I think it's very possible that in this group of people today that there are some folks who haven't yet made a decision for Jesus Christ. Okay? Whether you are a young person uh, or an older person or whatever, it is possible that today there's somebody here who hasn't made a decision for Christ. And one of the things that we want to do as a church is to make sure that people understand that we think this is really important, the notion of coming to Jesus as Lord. And so we want to talk about that a little bit uh, uh, today in terms of this journey. And one of the things that's happened is that we as a congregation, and even as a history, have journeyed a little bit in the way that we think of this whole process. And so here's what I think has happened. And and this is a little bit of an experiment this morning, but I think you might agree with me. In thinking about conversion, it seems like there are some moves that we have made. Like I think that we have moved from a fear of rejection by God, and some of you would have experienced that, certainly as children and and as adults as well. You might have feared the notion of being rejected by God. I think that we've moved from fearing a rejection by God to an opportunity to accept an invitation. And that's a completely different way of thinking about what it is that God is offering us. What is it that God gives us? Are we simply fearful of rejection or are we going to positively embrace an invitation that God has offered to us? We've moved, I think, from a response to instructions like commands, do this if you want to receive eternal life, to a response to an offer of relationship. Where God says, I love you, I have created you as my special ones, and I long to be with you and in fellowship with you forever. And that doesn't mean that God hasn't made commands. He certainly has. But the perspective we have about our relationship with God, I think, has transitioned a bit. I don't know that we're as concerned about just command keeping and, and certainly just doing what God says is important, but I don't think that's just why we do it. Instead, I think relationship is part of that. And then thirdly, I think we've moved from a response to information, understood, so you've got to have the right understanding about this information in order to be in fellowship with God, to an encounter with a person. Do you get the differences there? I don't think they're all that subtle. I think this has happened for us. My sense is that as a church, we're moving always in this direction of accentuating things like relationship and encounter and connection and union as opposed to simply something like, well, I know the right things to do and now I'm going to do them. And and again, it's a great thing to know the right things to do and to do them. But I think a transition has taken place. I remember when I was a a very young Christian, the preacher at our church, and he said this so many times that now 40-some years later, I can still remember it from his sermons. He would always say, Christianity is not about a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is about knowing how to be saved. Just think about that for a moment. Now, I remember as like a 15-year-old hearing him say that and thinking to myself, I think there's something wrong here. And I actually think that at 15, on that one, I was right. 
It may have taken me another 45 years or so to kind of get that picture clear in my mind, but I think that I was right about that, that Christianity is a lot more than just knowing how to be saved and following the procedure, but is instead all about knowing the Lord, being in relationship with Him. And I, I couldn't ever figure that out when he was saying, well, it's not about a relationship with Jesus, it's about knowing how to be saved. I thought, boy, you know, all my evangelical friends that I know are talking about this relationship with Jesus that they have. How come we're not talking about that? Well, I think now that we are. And again, that doesn't mean that there's not something significant about the command keeping and doing what Jesus says. I just think it's different. I used to think, and maybe you were there, I used to think that the chief reason for being baptized was obedience. Why are we baptized? Because Jesus calls us to do that. And so we obey, and out of obedience, we're baptized. Well, I think there's some truth to that. But what I think I've learned is that obedience is only really meaningful in the context of relationship. And so it's a nice thing if your children obey you. It's a better thing if your children love you. And in the process of loving you, choose to obey. All of us want that kind of relationship with those around us. And so we're not baptized just because the Bible tells us to, which is and can be just mere command keeping, but because of what baptism does for us in connecting us to Christ. So in baptism, we're identified with Christ. In baptism, we're clothed with Christ. This, this is biblical language, by the way. In baptism, we're identified with Christ, Romans chapter 6. We're clothed with Christ, Galatians 3.26, like we know these verses. We're purified with Christ, made clean, washed clean, 1 Peter 3.21. We're placed into the body of Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. So that there can be, and this is the purpose, so that there can be free relationship between ourselves and Christ. That's the move I think that we have made. And I think it's a good move. And so what we're talking about this morning needs to be seen in light of all of that. Because it could sound like, and you can, you've been handed a sheet of paper, it's got two sides on it, and it, it looks a little bit like uh, a cookbook recipe. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. Step four, do this. And I'm a little afraid in even handing it out. And I hesitated. Do I hand this out and then give people the impression that I think that this is some kind of cookbook process that we can go through and at the end we find salvation? And if we follow the steps perfectly, at the end it's going to look just like it's supposed to look. It's going to taste just like it should taste. Well, I don't want that to be the case because God is instead inviting us into relationship. And he's not asking us just to jump over hurdles or jump through hoops because he likes to demand things of us and impose his power and his will. Instead, and listen carefully to this, he calls us to embrace actions and a mindset that constitute the relationship, that do something in that relationship. You know, we're a group of people who forever has told all of our evangelical friends that baptism actually does something. 
What we've said is that baptism, 1 Peter 3.21, saves you. We've said that baptism washes you clean. And I, I think there's some really good biblical foundation behind those kinds of things, for us, particularly for us to say that baptism actually does something. In other words, it's not just, as some of our evangelical friends will talk about, it's not just an external sign of an inward grace. That's the way that we sometimes describe this, or not so much we, but others have described this a lot. Baptism is the external sign of an inward grace. And I actually don't believe that. I actually think that baptism does something. And in that sense, to use a kind of churchy word, it's sacramental. It actually brings upon the grace of God. God works through the act of baptism to do something in our lives. Now, what we've done is we've focused on and placed the emphasis on the fact that baptism now saves you, 1 Peter 3.21. Or repent and be baptized in every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those kind of things. Do this, baptism, and you'll get this. And we focused on those things, and I think in one sense that's good. But what baptism really does, more than anything else, is cement within us this relationship. Something happens between ourselves and God in the midst of that action. He, when we embrace the action, He embraces us. And so, yes, it does something. In fact, it's dynamic and wonderful and beautiful. I think we just have to be clear about what exactly that it does do. You know, we live in an amazing world of progress. Children today, get this, children today can be created through a rational, scientific process of steps. True? Um, One process might be what we would call in vitro. It's a medical procedure, an amazing medical procedure. But I don't know if there's ever been a case where a couple has gone through in vitro, and a child has been produced, and then that child was produced afterward as the result of a scientific process. Instead, that process leads to relationship. And we know about that even in our own congregation, where there are people in our church who've made the decision because they couldn't have a child another way to go through a scientific process of having that child. Now, that's not the normal way that child children are born, usually there is from the beginning this expression of love that ends up in the production of a child. The scientific process, I would say, is no less an expression of love, and the result is no less an expression of love. And so, yeah, we might go through what look like some steps, but what God really desires here is not a series of steps so that we can in the end say, I've accomplished all the steps, I've carried out the commands, but instead I'm now in relationship with God through these events which brought me into relationship with Him. And so even though something's created scientifically, it ends up really constituting love and relationship, and we can have the same kind of thing. So we're talking this morning about becoming a child of God. It looks like a series of steps, but of course, it's so much more than that. On uh, Friday, I had occasion to spend about an hour and a half with a 
a fellow who, he's actually been here. You're going to remember him, in fact, because he used to sit up here. He sat up here for two or three Sundays. Big, tall guy, loved to wave his hand, covered with tattoos, bald fellow. His name is Matt. Matt's one of the students at Ambrose uh, University. And Matt, you know, emailed me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, we need to get together and have coffee. So we did. Sat down for an hour and a half on Friday afternoon with Matt. And his story is so wonderful. You know, here's a guy who was raised in an absolutely dysfunctional family. He has four brothers and sisters. They're all addicted to alcohol and drugs. And Matt himself grew up absolutely addicted to, to alcohol and drugs. That was his life. Uh, I'm going to guess that Matt's now late 30s or so. Uh, he's got at least a 12-year-old child I know of. Matt has completely turned his life around. And he is, uh, he is vibrant, and he is enthusiastic. He is verbose. We sat there for an hour and a half. I think I said about four words. And he talked and talked and talked and talked about God living within him, about the relationship that he has with Jesus, about the way the Holy Spirit has ministered in his life, how he's completely turned things around. He's, he's in his second year of a four-year program in order to uh, put himself in a position where he can help other young people get off addictions. That's what Matt's doing. And the whole time, because I'd been thinking about this, and now I'm talking to him, and I'm thinking, this guy did not just follow some steps. Matt didn't just keep some commands. Matt is absolutely filled to the brim with the relationship with Jesus. And his life has been completely changed because of the relationship that he has with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we want to experience? Is that wonderful, beautiful relationship with Christ. And so, yeah, we've got some things that look a little bit cookbookish here. But this is not just steps to be followed. Look at the outline for me, if you will. You notice that this starts with, at the top, coming to know Jesus Christ is the most important decision that any person can make. The decision should be made seriously, with much reflection. The decision should also be made with eyes turned toward the New Testament. And recorded in the New Testament is the good news message about Jesus Christ and the path one follows in becoming a child of His. The reason why I don't say at the top, this is how to be saved, but say becoming a child of God is that that's what we want this process to be, that kind of identification. When, when I talk about just being saved, it sounds like I'm concerned. It sounds like I'm worried. And instead of being worried, I get the benefit of connection, the benefit of the blessing of relationship and being a child of God. Well, what does the New Testament say about our response to Jesus? And again, um, you know, most of you are very aware of all of this kind of stuff. One of the questions I get asked quite often is people will say, you know, I would, I would talk to, to people about Christ more if I just had something that would help me with that. If I, just, if I had the scriptures in front of me, if I knew the Bible better so that I could explain to other people how it is that they can become a believer in Jesus and commit themselves to Christ. 
And so if nothing else, this is that. It's brief. Uh, it could be briefer, I suppose. It's got tons of scriptures on here that you can refer to. And so if you're a person who's inclined to talk to somebody else about Jesus, this is a resource that I hope that you uh, pay attention to. Now, it's interesting, too. This cataloging, cookbookish kind of list of things to do is not exactly as the same that we've sometimes used. Like in the past, we often have used something like this, but it's usually done on our fingers. And we'll talk about how one hears and believes and confesses and repents and is baptized. And then maybe, if you actually were going to follow Walter Scott with the original version of this, you would talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's oftentimes, though, how we've done that. Well, this does, I suppose, something similar. It is a bit of a list, but it's not exactly the same. And that's because I really think that this is far more complete than what we have sometimes done uh, with our list. So first of all, letter A here is that I think it's crucial that someone have something happen within their heart, also within their mind, within their soul. And, and rather than just say, believe, I've tried to describe this with words that take us through more of a process, that this is a believing, accepting, committing, confessing, obedient kind of faith. So that you don't just do this and you've met the requirement, but there is a description here of people in process. There's a people who are growing and becoming what God wants them to be rather than thinking that we somehow have reached it. And I think that's probably your experience. I don't think there's anybody in here who is sincere about their faith in Jesus who said, well, I'm there. In fact, I was there when I first believed. At that point, I, I either knew it all or knew him completely or I was exactly where I was always going to be. Of course not. And so we continue through the process of believing and accepting and confessing and all those things. This is a process that we're part of. It's a relational kind of growth that takes place because that's the way relationships are. Uh, Robin and I have been married for almost 41 years now. We certainly didn't say after the first few weeks, we know each other perfectly, we've got this nailed, it's all done. It's been a process of coming to know one another. There are some times when I learn things about her even now that I, that I didn't know. And it's not unusual for me to say to her, wow, I, you know, I, I didn't know that. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, she, I'll tell some story and she'll say, I, I haven't heard that story before. Sometimes I tell it to the church before I tell her. So th those kind of things happen. We grow and learn. And so this is a process of continuing to believe, continuing to accept, continuing to commit and confess and be obedient to Christ. And faith then is growing within us all the time. Now, on the back, I do think it's important. In fact, maybe more important that in our current culture we sometimes make it that people actually repent in response to the relationship that they're having with Jesus. But you guys tell me, repentance is really a churchy word. What does that really mean? What does it mean to repent? Yeah, to turn around and do a 180. Somebody said something over here. Change, yeah. 
for there to be genuine change. Like I've described this before, is if you're standing on top of the, of the Calvary Tower and you're looking, you're, you've got the guts to stand on the glass plate, okay? So you're looking down and you see way down there on 9th Ave, you see cars heading east. At least they better be, it's a one-way street. So they're all heading east, but what would happen if you're watching this car, and they're speeding, they shouldn't be speeding, but they're speeding, and all of a sudden they get down here to your right, and they slam on the brakes and do a U-turn and start going back the other way. Now, besides avoiding cars and getting in an accident and all that kind of thing, what's happened is they completely turn things around, and that's repentance. You're going absolutely in one direction in life, and you turn that around, and you head in the other direction. That's what repentance is all about. And again, because of our emphasis on grace these days, sometimes we don't like to talk very much about sin. We don't like to talk about unholiness. We like to just kind of be positive with all of that, which I understand. But God does, in fact, desire for us to be holy. He wants us to genuinely repent of our sins, for us to turn all of that around and to live the kind of life that He wants us to live, a life of holiness seeking after Him. We need each one of us to do that. And so if you're a person who is thinking, wow, I, you know, I like this idea of believing in Jesus, but there are things in my life I just don't really want to get rid of. Actually, you need to get rid of those things that stand between you and God as sin. Now, fortunately, God doesn't leave us alone. Because He's in relationship with us, He sends His Spirit and His Spirit works within us to transform us and change us. And the more we give ourselves to Him, the more He turns us around. And we have real strength and power for becoming the person that God wants us to be. But all of that starts, I think, with a heart that says, I really want to change. And then there is this act of baptism. And this has been a, a key element within Churches of Christ in terms of our emphasis on that particular point, the act of being baptized. And I think good on us. It's a good thing for us to have talked about that. It's a good thing for us to have emphasized about, uh, to emphasize within our faith. And in fact, it's interesting the way that so much of the evangelical world has headed in this direction. Like, I don't know if you're aware of the, the revitalization of the practice of baptism within evangelical churches, but it's huge. You read the, the statement on baptism, for example, at the largest church in our city, which is Center Street. And it's amazing. <clears throat> it's amazing how similar that statement is to where we stand. That wouldn't have happened, I don't think, a hundred years ago. But it's happened today because the whole evangelical world is kind of headed in that way. So these things that I just talked about in terms of what baptism does, clothing us with Christ, uniting us with Christ, identifying us with Christ, uh, purifying us so that we can have a relationship with Christ. All those things are things that the New Testament talks about happening. And you look at this list, and these scriptures will talk about that. So in the end here I say, kind of what is this letter D, that we must all somehow respond to Jesus. And I think that's the case. And so if you haven't responded to Christ... You need to. In fact, I, I would argue that if you haven't responded to Christ the way that is talked about in this document, I, like I think this is the way actually to do it. 
There's something positive and constructive and life-changing about this. But as you do it, and especially then as you teach other people to do it, maybe even using this as a resource, I hope so much that you see the difference between just following the series of steps and these as a part of the relationship that we have with Jesus. I think that's crucial, and I also think that's life-changing. And I think Ortberg wants to continue to take us down that path. I'm looking forward to the continued journey. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you this morning that we can, that we can know you. We thank you that we can have relationship with you. And I want to thank you today that you've given us a way that seems pretty clear in terms of how to have that happen in our lives. Move each one of us, God, by your spirit to make a decision for you to carry out certain acts and to change certain perceptions that will put us ever in closer relationship with you. Help us to go through a lifelong process of knowing you better. We pray through Jesus.